Go ahead and uh, grab a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 7. We, we've been in this series for, for several months, and uh, it's a series we're calling uh, The Lion Wars. And um, particularly in these early chapters in the Gospel of Mark, we've seen uh, a picture of Jesus. We've really seen his, his power, we've seen his, his glory, we've seen his character throughout these first uh, six chapters. And so this morning we're going to look at a passage today where Jesus is going to give us a picture of ourselves. We're going to really get a picture, get a look inside uh, of ourselves today. Uh, Jesus is going to hold up a mirror for us so that we can get a, a real glimpse into our hearts. And so when Jesus is talking about your heart, he's not talking about your physical heart. He's talking about the center of who we are that really kind of controls all that we think and do and feel. And so we call that also uh, our, our heart. And so that's really the core of who we really are. And what Jesus is going to do in this passage that we're, we're going to read in just a minute in Mark 7 is he's going to give us a hard and unpopular truth. Uh, he, is, he is going to say that really our problems and our issues and our sins uh, come from within us. And, and not, not from the outside in, but, but, but really they originate from the inside out. That what pollutes us and what contaminates us is the fact that there's, there's something broken within us. There's something uh, really off in our hearts. And, and, and so that's, what he's, that's really what he's going to say. Now, I, I think we're all aware that something is broken in the world. I, I think it doesn't matter what your perspective is on politics or you know, theology or uh, philosophy to know that, that something is broken in this world, that it needs, uh, it needs to be fixed. There's something definitely messed up. And, and what's really fascinating about that is, that is the prevailing thought in today's society is, is really this, that, that my problems and my issues and my sins are really the fault of something else or someone else. Isn't that ironic? I mean, we all know that something is broken in the world, but the irony of it is, is that the prevailing thought of the world is, says that, you know, my problems and my issues and my sins are really someone else's fault. They're not, I'm not responsible for them. And going a little bit deeper with that is the thought that people are, are, are good. People are generally very good. That, that's the dominant thought in, in society and in culture today. So we know that the world is broken, but it can't be people, right? I mean, that, that can't be the heart of the problem because people are really good. And so, so what our culture tells us is, you know, if there's a problem or an issue or a sin in my life, well, that, that's my parents' fault. Or it's, it's the fault of, you know, my environment. Or it's, it's a result of a lack of education or a lack of, you know, opportunity. And so we, we, we see uh, there's plenty of blame to go around except when it comes to us. And what Jesus is going to do in this passage is he's going to absolutely blow that out of the water today. Uh, he, he is going to say that, that really uh, that what, you know, what the cause of, of our issues and our sins and our problems is, is not something external to us, but something very much internal within us. That's what defiles us. And Jesus is going to tell us that we are very much worse than we think. But we're also going to see that the gospel is greater than we think. And that's really the good news today. Now, this is a kind of a lengthy passage of scripture, so I'm going to forewarn you today. Um, but if you are willing and able, would you please stand as we 
read Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23 today. So Mark records this. He says, now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples uh, ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. And he gives us some par- a parenthetical thought here because he's writing to Romans and Greeks who didn't understand the Jewish customs like, like many of us don't understand them. So he inserts this kind of for our benefit. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. So then he picks up. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, These, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. And Moses said, for Moses said, honor your father and mother and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But, but you say, if a man holds, tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had he had entered the house and left the people the disciples asked him about the parable and he said to them then are you also without understanding do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled so thus he declared all foods clean and he said what comes out of a person is what defiles him For from within, out of a person's, out of the heart of a man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God. It lasts forever. You may be seated. So what we have here is another real controversy between Jesus and the Pharisees. Jesus is debating and arguing and challenging the Pharisees. And as I was kind of thinking about this this week, I was thinking, you know, this is a conversation that couldn't happen in 2022 uh, because so many people today in our society reject the notion of objective truth. So many people in our, in our day think that truth is just relative, that truth is culturally determined, uh, that truth is not absolute, truth is, you know, just really relative. And, and so this conversation, if it were had 
uh, today, you know, probably the Pharisees would have said to, said to Jesus, well, <laughs> Jesus, you have your truth and we have our truth, so let's just, you know, let's just call it a day. And uh, Jesus would say to that, I am truth. And um, he would also add, like he, like he says here, you know, you're living in error. You're, you're living a lie. You're, you're hypocrites, which presupposes, which pre-assumes that truth exists, that truth is real. And, uh, and that's what he says. I think that would be enough for Jesus to get canceled. What we just read today uh, certainly would get him canceled if he was uh, alive today or walking the earth in 2022. Now, what I want to show you today is the problem here that this passage talks about. And that problem is very simple, a heart far from God. That's what we see. That's what Jesus is really addressing, is a heart far from God. And then we see the point. And the point that Jesus gives us is that God wants our hearts. And, and then later, lastly, we're going to look at the path that through the cross, Jesus can give me a new heart, which is really good news. So let's look at, let's look at the problem, a heart far from God. That's really what this passage is all about. It's what, it's, what Jesus is really talking about here is, is, is what that kind of looks like in the, in the, in the lives and hearts of the Pharisees. So, so what we have in, the, in, the, in really the first five verses is a discussion between Jesus and the Pharisees about the washing of hands. So the, so the Pharisees observed Jesus' disciples that they had not washed their hands before they had, they had eaten. And uh, you see this specifically in verses 2, 3, and 4. Let me read it to you again so that we can kind of get our bearings on this. And I'll kind of explain what they're talking about here. So they, they, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. That's a very important phrase. And, and when they, they come from the marketplace, they do not eat uh, unless they wash. And they had many other traditions that they observed, such as washing of cups and copper vessels and dining couches. Now, what is he talking about? Uh, they're, not asking, they're not asking about their hygiene habits here. This has nothing to do with hygiene. This has everything to do with what is called the tradition of the elders and certain ritual cleansings that you had to go through to be a good devoted Jew that was based in the tradition of the elders, all right? So there are two things that I want us to look at today. We're gonna to talk about the tradition of the elders, but I also wanna set that up by talking to you first about what we call clean laws. Okay, because there's a difference between the two. So let me, let me explain this. The clean laws are in the Old Testament. And if you're reading through the Bible in a year, uh, the clean laws are going to show up in Exodus, Numbers, and in Leviticus. And if you're ever tempted to quit your Bible reading plan throughout the year, it's probably going to be while you're reading through the clean laws. Because you're going to be looking at these and thinking, this has nothing to do with anything in my life. This is so unnecessary this is so over the top you know i don't even understand this why are these all these rules and regulations about what's clean and unclean and and that kind of thing well let me let me explain them to you so that you know you can you can really see god's wisdom in all of this so in the old testament you have these you have these clean laws and uh and really based the the gist of the clean laws was that you were not allowed to go to the tabernacle or the temple if you had come in contact with dirt 
disease, or decay. All right? So, so those three things would render you unclean, and then you were forbidden, according to God's commandment, according to the clean laws, for going up into the temple uh, or the tabernacle to worship if you had come in contact with dirt, disease, or decay. So, for example, the priests would have to wash their hands and their feet before they could go in the sanctuary. That was commanded by God. If you touched a dead animal, if you had touched a dead person, you were considered unclean for a week, and you couldn't go up to, you could not go up to the temple to worship. It's kind of gross, but if you had diarrhea, uh, if you had an infectious skin disease that, you know, was oozing pus, or you had an open wound that was oozing blood, uh, you know, those things would render you unclean and unfit for worship in the temple or tabernacle. Even if you had mildew on your clothes or on some of your utensils at home, you were rendered unclean and unfit for worship. There were also a lot of foods that God prohibited uh, his people from eating, you know, foods like shellfish, which makes total sense because they didn't really have refrigeration, so, uh, so they were very much prone to uh, bacterial infections, that kind of thing. So God's prohibition against this made total sense because he's, he really cares about us. So, 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 th so, so those were really part of the clean laws. So, so the clean laws gave you a way, it gave you kind of a, 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 a means of following the ritual so that you could re-enter the community of faith and you could re-enter the worship of God. All you had to do was follow the prescription that God laid out for what you needed to do to be characterized as clean. And so, and so you see these in, like I said, Genesis, Numbers, and, and uh, Leviticus. Now, why, why did God require this? Well, there were a couple of different reasons. I, I think the biggest reason is this, that God wanted to show his people and the surrounding nations that he was holy. That he is different from all the other gods that everybody's worshiping. He wanted to show his own people how unique and distinct he was. That there's no other god like, like our god. And he wanted, he, he wanted the people from the surrounding nations to notice the people of Israel and how they worshiped and how they lived their life and how they functioned. And, and he, wanted, he wanted them to ask the question, why are you so different? Why are you so unique? There's something different about you. And, and they would begin to see God's grace and God's plan through, through how the people of Israel live. That's really what God is trying to accomplish uh, through, throughout the Old Testament. And so, and so it, would, it would be that the people of Israel would be a witness in how they live their life. And I think a part of that would be that, that the clean laws were established because, because from God's perspective, he, he, he is holy. And he doesn't want you entering into worship haphazardly. He, he doesn't want you entering into worship irreverently or just, you know, you know, carelessly because God is holy in all that he does. And, and so if you're going to describe God in any way, the best descriptor that you could give of God is God is holy in all that he does because the word holy really describes all of the attributes in one. It re they really, holiness 
the holiness of God really touches on all the different attributes, kind of ties them together. He is, he is wholly different from us, and that requires a different response. And so God wanted to show his uniqueness and his holiness. But there's a second reason why God established the clean laws, and, and um, it's, it's really very simple. I think he used the clean laws as an illustration or as an object lesson. He wanted to show that sin pollutes our soul and our spirit like dirt, like, like, like dirt pollutes our bodies. He, he wanted the people of God to make a connection and see that, that dirt contaminates us physically and sin contaminates us spiritually. He wanted, he wanted his people to take sin seriously. And that's what the clean laws are really all about. Now, now think about this. Think about what dirt does to our bodies. What, what does dirt really do to us? I mean, think about it. Um, it isolates us, doesn't it? It alienates us. So if somebody had come, in, you know, come to church today and they had not changed their clothes in you know, 60 days and they hadn't showered in 60 days, um, would you sit by them and worship uh, this morning? Would you do that? Now, I think a lot of you really would because you, you're, you're so compassionate. You have, you know, you're so loving. And, and uh, I, I think a lot of you would. But I, I think, I, I don't know, I would be tempted not to because, because why? Because they, they would smell so bad, right? And so what's happening is all of that dirt isolates us from one another. I mean, that's part of why we shower, right? So that we could have uh, friendship. So what, what dirt does is it hinders our relationships. It drives people away from us, uh, kind of the dirtier you are. Same thing with disease. You know, if I told you, you all today that before I got to church today, I tested positive for COVID-19, what would your response to me be at that point? You would stay as far away from me as you possibly could. You'd be like, you know, I need to talk to Scott, but I think I'll just text him instead. I'll see you, see you later, you know, uh, because that's what disease does to us. It isolates us. It, it, again, it hinders and prevents those relationships. Let's just say walking in, you know, I park, you know, out in kind of the far lot, you know, and I walk in and I, I, find, I find a dead raccoon. I mean, he's just kind of roadkill, you know, like, well, this is really interesting. So I pick it up you know, and I just carry it in. I'm like, hey, everybody, look at this thing, man. Isn't this thing cool, you know? And I'm, you know, walking in between services. Everybody's, you know, drinking their coffee and fellowshipping. And what would you guys do at that point? You would, you would, you would stay totally away. You would avoid me like the plague because you would think Scott's going to get the plague here pretty soon. And that's, that's exactly what happens. Now, now, church, think with me. What does sin do to us? It does the exact same thing. It, it separates us from God. It, it, it just drives a chasm between us and God and us and one another. That's what it does. And that's what I think part of what God was really trying to show his people, that, that uh, it contaminates us. It, it soils us. And uh, it just ruins and weighs down our soul and our spirit. And we're not made for that, church. We're not made to live this way. We're not made to live dirty. 
We're not made to live infected with disease and dirt and, 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 and decay in our lives. We're just not made for that. And a lot of people will live their entire lives under the burden of guilt and sin and shame every single day. And it's not why God created us. It's not normal to live that way. You know, my favorite Shakespeare play was, is uh, Macbeth. And I mean, you know, you know, probably the story of Lady Macbeth. She, she takes part um, in a murder and she's, she's dealing with the guilt of her own sin. And um, she's stained by it. She's troubled by it. She's burdened down by it. And what does she say? What does she say over and over again? She rubs her hands. Out, damned spot, out, I say. That's what she says. Because what she's trying to do is get clean. She's been infected. She's been polluted. She's been defiled by her own sin. She's dirty. And she feels the chasm between her and her God and her and other people. She feels that every single day. And she's trying to find a way to bridge the, cap, but the, the, bridge the gap, but she just can't do it. That's exactly what sin does to us. And so what God is doing through the clean laws is just trying to illustrate the, the, the contamination and defilement that, that sin really brings. That it isolates us, it alienates us, it contaminates us, it infiltrates us with guilt and shame. So, so that's the clean laws, all right? But let's talk about the, the tradition of the elders because... The Pharisees are quizzing Jesus about why his disciples are not following this tradition. So, so let me tell you about the tradition of the elders. So you have, you have the law of God in the Old Testament. So what the Pharisees did is, is they had the law of God, but they developed a tradition of, of uh, applications of that law all around it. So that in essence, they have, you know, these commands of God, but then they developed, you know, 613 more commands and more applications. And it's, and it's, it's the Jewish name is the halakha. And, it, and halakha means fence. And the thought process is you build a fence around the commandments of God so that you would never get close to breaking the actual commands of God because you got all these applications of the law of God around it that you were supposed to observe. And those applications were called the tradition of the elders. And, uh, and so the Pharisees helped develop it. So let me give you for an example of this. The law of God commanded that the priest wash their arm or their, their hands and their legs before they entered into the sanctuary. Well, the Pharisees took that command and they, they broadened it. They expanded it and they said, you know, it would be a really good idea if everybody washed their hands before they ate. That'd be really good. So that entered into the tradition of the elders. And they began, they began teaching that. And, uh, and so what happened is the tradition of the elders started to develop so specifically that it became equated with the commands of God. And then over time, the commands of God became optional while the Pharisees focused more and more on the tradition of the elders. You see what was happening? So, so, so what's happening here is this. They were actually, they were actually adding to the word of God. 
they were actually subtracting from the Word of God. And what all of this reflects is it reflects a heart far from God. And that is Jesus' point. And that's why he says, notice what he says in verse 6. He, he, he says it this way, and he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy. In other words, Isaiah did a great job of prophesying here of you hypocrites. And you see that? He calls them hypocrites. That word hypocrite comes from the Greek word hypokritos, and it's a theater term. And, uh, in, you know, in the ancient, in antiquity, they would put on plays and the actors would wear masks and they would impersonate their characters. And, and so basically a hypocrite is somebody who acts out a role without sincerity. They just pretend. So they're one way externally, but internally they're completely different. They were acting very close to God, but man, in their hearts, they were far from it. And that's what Jesus says here as he quotes Isaiah. This people honors me with their lips. You see that? Their hearts are far from me. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's going right to the heart of the issue. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You see that? They elevated the commandments of men to, to the doctrine. And, uh, and so that's what Jesus is saying. He says, you know, you, you look great on the outside, but on the inside, you're not really worshiping me. And I think it really brings the issue front and center for, for you and for me. They're acting like they're worshiping God, but they're really not. There's no worship. There's no joy. There's no delight in a relationship with God. There's no resting in Him and uh, loving Him. And uh, they, were, they were far from God. Now, church, think about, think about how this applies to us today. L let, me, let me just ask you, where's your heart today? in your relationship with God? Where's your heart? Are you just here just because this is just what you do? Or is your heart set on the love of God? You're here because you love Him and you want to serve Him. I mean, I, I, I think about, you know, when we gather to worship and we gather to sing together corporately, we, we gather to sing the praises of God um, church, do you, do, you, do you ever think about what you're singing? Some of you don't even sing. And it makes, it makes one wonder about your heart. Like we sang a little bit earlier, um, we dance in your freedom, awake and alive. D do you know the freedom of God? D do you... You know, maybe, maybe you don't dance, but, but do you have the joy in your heart that would produce dancing in the grace of God? In other words, where's your heart? We mouth the words that are appropriate to the praise of God, but church, do we mean the praise of God? 
do we really mean it? Or are we just doing it? Because we think there's value in mindlessly doing something. That's the question that Jesus asks. You know, we pray and give thanks at a meal. But are we really thankful? Or are we really great? Or are we just angry? You know, we're just ticked off because God didn't do this and God did that. But, but we went through the motions of, you know, praying at a meal. Whatever it is, I think it's very easy as a Christian or as a churchgoer just to play the role, right? To put the mask on and our hearts are far from him. And we think we're checking a box and God's pleased. And we, we've got God satisfied and boxed in over in his corner. And now we can, do our, we can do whatever it is that we want. See, the reality is, is God's desire for us is not that we would cuss less. God's desire for us is not that we would just be kind. You know, that's the mantra of the world, just be kind. God's desire is not that you would just read your Bible every day. You know what God desires? He just wants you. He just wants your heart. He doesn't want our mindless expressions and empty words. He doesn't want our religious observances. There's no value in that. The value is in loving God with all that we have because he loves us with everything that he has. You know, I was reading a this is from 2013, this is from the New York Post, and uh, these New York City narcotics agents, uh, this is back when they used to prosecute crime uh, in New York City, but, um, but uh, they actually arrested a drug ring. Um, these guys were dealing heavy drugs in New York City, and they, they found them and, and uh, you know, arrested them, and, and uh, they, of course, they confiscated their phones and started going through their phones. And they noticed that these five guys that they arrested in this drug, drug ring uh, were very diligent about observing the Sabbath. They didn't, they didn't deal any drugs on the Sabbath. And they got into their text messages and the people they were dealing drugs to, they sent messages, we will not sell drugs until Saturday night late because we, we observe the Sabbath. Now church, doesn't it make your heart feel good that we've got... We've got some good people drug dealing. Aren't you, aren't you, I mean, I mean, you feel bad about where the world's going sometimes, but man, there's some glimpses of hope there. What, what would Jesus say to that? What would he say? You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Where's your heart today? Do you know what life is all about? It's not about us being rich. It's not even about us being comfortable. It's certainly not about us being famous. It's not about any of that. It's not even about us having pleasure. What life's all about is just loving God. And everything else is gravy. So do you love him today? And see, that's the point. I, I think that's the point that Jesus makes is that, that, that God really wants our heart. He, he, he just wants us. And, uh, and so he goes on, and the second part of this passage is just really interesting. You see um, another example of this tradition of the elders. I'm going to illustrate this 
uh, in, in just a minute. Let me, let me explain what Jesus is talking about when he talks about Korban, but uh, let me show it to you in verse 80. And this is where, when Jesus says you leave the commandment of God, this is, he's, he's, really, he's really getting close to their heart of the issue here. He says you leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. They've elevated the tradition of the elders over the command of God. And then he tells them how he's done this. Um, look at verse verse 9 and he said to them you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition so they're actually rejecting God's commandment they're rejecting the word of God and how they live their life and he says you have a fine way of doing that you've elevated your tradition over the commandment of God well how did how do they do that well he tells us in verse 10 for Moses said honor your father and mother because that's one of the 10 commandments that's a top 10 list right there and, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. There's consequences of not honoring your father and mother, in other words. But the Pharisees say, but you say, if a man tells his father or mother, well, whatever would it, you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. And many such things you do. Many things. Now let me, let me explain what Korban is. So Korban is really uh, based on Leviticus 27. That everything that we have from a wealth standpoint belongs to God. So there's nothing that we have that's truly our own. Everything that we have belongs to God and we're stewards of that in Leviticus 27 establishes that and so there was a tradition in the elders uh, or a tradition according to the elders that you could declare all of your wealth as belonging to God and so what would happen is after you declared all of your wealth as belonging to God you know according to the tradition of the elders you could then say well I don't have any left over to give to the poor I don't have any more to support my aging parents because I've devoted it all to God. And that was, that was a rule according to the tradition of the elders, and that's what's called korban. So it, it enabled someone to, to declare their wealth to God and then justify their lack of generosity and their lack of sacrifice to their family while actually holding on to their wealth. Can you believe that? And they felt really good about it. Because they said, all I have belongs to God. But it never got to God. And uh, it would be like somebody today tithing 50% of their salary, but they can't support their family because they're giving 50% of their salary, you know, to God and, and the work of the church. And what Jesus is asking is you have absolutely vacated the commandment of God to honor your father and mother by taking care of them when they're in need. And you're justifying it in your religious observance of your tradition. You see, that's what's happening. That's what Jesus is talking about. And they did it to feel really good about themselves. They didn't do it uh, for any other reason. Now, as I was thinking about how to apply this, uh, I, I, I thought of an example. So I'm about to step on some toes today, but just buckle up. Here we go. So um, 
you know, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for modern technology. I'm so thankful that we have the live stream, you know, that we can, we can watch, especially when you're homebound and you can't get out of your home because of medical reasons or, you know, the live stream is great when you're on vacation and that kind of thing. So you can watch and stay, you know, stay up with us. And so I'm so thankful for that part about it. Uh, but church, I have to be honest with you. Uh, a lot of people abuse it. A lot of people abuse it. And they just, let's just stay home. Let's just watch the sermon, you know, online today. And uh, a, lot, a lot of people have, have done that. And, uh, and it's, it's kind of like they, you know, they, they feel really good because they, they kind of checked the box. They watched the sermon, but they didn't have to really go to church, you know, today. And, and, and here's the thing I would say about that is, you know, God didn't say, you know, don't give up the habit of the live stream. You know, he didn't say that. Um, he said, don't give up the habit of meeting together. The word of God says nothing about observing the live stream. What it says is don't give up the habit of being in community. Don't give up the habit of meeting together. Don't forsake the assembling together. Why? Because it goes on to say, so that you may be an encouragement to each other. See, you can't encourage anybody watching the live stream at home in bed. You can't do that. And so we feel really good that we dialed in and watched, watched, the, watched the live stream. But that's not what God's asking us to do. He's asking us to be a part of a family and to be in relationship with one another because there are people in the room that need your encouragement. And that's what's missing when you're missing. And uh, I think that could be a pretty good example. And uh, so now 150 people just dropped off our live stream right now. So, <laughs> so what's Jesus' point? I think you see it in John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Not the traditions. Not what makes you feel good about yourself spiritually. But if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then Jesus goes on. He's kind of meeting privately, you know, or meeting with, you know, explaining things to the disciples. And uh, he goes deeper and deeper about this issue of the heart. And you see this in verses uh, 20 and 21 and 22. He says, what, what comes out of a person is really what defiles him. It's not, you know, they thought that it's something external that what makes us contaminated, you know. It, it's something we've eaten. It's something we've been exposed to externally that, that what drives us away from God. And what Jesus says, it's really the heart. It's really something within us. That, uh, that drives this, and he describes it. He goes, he says, what, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, and sexual immorality, and theft, and murder, adultery, coveting, and wickedness, and deceit, and sensuality, and envy, and slander, and pride, and foolishness. You know what's interesting about all these, these correspond with the Ten Commandments. And what he's saying is this is what flows out of us because it reveals a heart 
that's not been sanctified by the Spirit, right? It, re- it reveals a heart that's not been changed, a heart that, 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 that needs more and more the grace of God. And, and uh, all these evil things, he says, come from within, and, and that is what defiles a person. And so, and so it's not the tradition of the elders, but what, but what contaminates us soul and spirit, what pollutes our soul and spirit is what, what comes from within our sinful nature and out into our lives onto the lives of other people. You know, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, man, um, Jesus just kind of ends right there. I mean, have you, did you notice that? Like he, he just kind of stops. And that's all he says. I mean, he basically says, your hearts are defiled. You're hypocrites. You know, your hearts are, are full of this stuff. And your, your hearts are far from God. And he just drops the microphone and then turns and walks off. That's all he does. And, and I'm sure the Pharisees were kind of like, is that all, Jesus? I mean, isn't there at least a book we can buy? You know, can you give us, can you give us five steps? Can you give us some kind of solution? Jesus doesn't offer a solution here to wrap this thing up nice and, nice and tidy. You know what I'm saying? And the reason why... It's because he doesn't offer a solution because you can't really fix an age-old problem with an external solution. So he doesn't offer a solution, but what he does in Mark chapter 15 is offer his life. And there begins to be a shift right in the middle of the gospel of Mark where, where Jesus turns and starts focusing on, let's go to the cross. Because our problem with sin is so deep and so pervasive there's no external solution to it it needs a radical change and that radical change is Jesus going to the cross and what he's going to do at the cross is die for you and for me and on the third day be raised up so that we could have a new heart and a new life you see Jesus really didn't come to make you better he came to make you new. Jesus didn't come so that you could be better at following more rules. As if our biggest problem is we break rules. That's not why he came. He came to change us from the inside out. That's what he wants to do. And so the path that Jesus takes is the path of the cross in Mark 15. And the cross very simply means Jesus can give me a brand new heart. That is, that is the work of new birth through the Spirit of God. Jesus says, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. We need, we're so dead inside. We need to be born again. And only the Spirit of God can do that. Only the Spirit of God can give us a new heart, a new mind. Uh, the Apostle Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Therefore, if any, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And what he's alluding to there is, is that if you're in Christ, we have new life within us. And, and, and a new heart and new desires and a new purpose and a new start. So you're like, well, Scott, how do I, how do I, how do I get that? Well, it comes from being in Christ. I mean, clearly that's what, 
the Apostle Paul is saying. It doesn't come from trying harder, doing better, or doing more, which is what we're tempted to do. But it comes from being in Christ. And the way that we step into Christ is we admit that I can't fix me. I I can't change me. I I can't give me a new heart. Jesus, you're going to have to fix me. You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to change me on the inside because my problem with sin, my issues, my, 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 my habits, my dysfunctions, they're so deep and so pervasive, it needs a radical solution. And that's exactly what the grace of God gives us. I was reading about this lady. Her name is Doreen Virtue. And uh, it's a pretty good name, Doreen Virtue. But uh, she, she was, for many, many years, the leading author and speaker of the New Age movement for many, many years. She was, I'm telling you, she was, she was the master teacher. And uh, her books had been translated into 38 different languages. She traveled the world speaking at seminars. She sold them out. She rubbed, she rubbed uh, shoulders with celebrities and elites and politicians. Uh, she, she traveled the world. She was so rich off all of her books, writing on the New Age movement, that they owned 50 acre, a 50-acre ranch in Hawaii. That's how rich they were. And, uh, and so she just had her life all together. And this is what she writes. She says this. She says, New Agers often view Christianity as having dogmatic rules. But New Agers have their own rigid standards about what an enlightened person must and mustn't do. She says, during my 20 years as a New Age teacher, I promoted techniques like positive affirmations, believing and teaching that your words create your reality. See, that teaching is totally New Age. We held up our wealth and our fame as evidence that our principles were true and effective. Yet despite this worldly success, we were unrepentant sinners, she says with lives marred by divorce, immorality, and addictions. Having sold out workshops, standing ovations, adoring fans, and celebrity friends, all of those things gave us swollen egos. I remember believing that my every thought was a message or a sign from God or his angels. My every thought, she said. And then she says, In January 2015, she was driving along the Hawaiian road, and she was listening to a pastor, Pastor Alistair Begg. He was preaching a sermon called Itching Ears. He was preaching out of 2 Timothy chapter 4, and he was talking about that in the end times, people are going to want their itching ears tickled by false teachers who give false hope. What she says is amazing. She says he was talking directly at me. She said, God used Alistair Begg's sermon to convict me, and for the first time in my life, his words pierced my stony heart, and I felt ashamed of my false teachings. I read Deuteronomy 18, verses 10 through 12, and I encountered a list of sinful activities that included several that I was practicing, such as divination, interpreting signs and omens, and mediumship. I was broken, I was deeply ashamed and humbled, and I dropped to my knees in sorrow and shame, crying out, I am sorry, God, I am sorry. She said, I just kept wailing in repentance. I didn't know. 
And she said, on that very day, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. She said that decision had far-reaching consequences on my life. Doreen and her husband left their fancy Hawaiian home and her New Age publisher ended their professional partnership. And then New Agers treated her as an object of scorn. She said, having to admit that I was wrong to the entire world, that my, you know, my books that were published in 38 languages were all false teachings, she said. Having to admit that was deeply humbling. But even so, I needed the humility to better learn how to rely on God. After seeking but never finding peace in the New Age movement, I found it in Christ along with a brand new heart. See, only the Spirit of God can do that. Only the grace of God can do that. And I just want to tell you today, church, that He can do it for you. I don't know where you've been. I, I, don't, I don't know what you've done. It doesn't even matter. I don't even need to know. But I know that God's grace is bigger than anything you've done in your past. And I know that He can take your stony heart and give you a brand new one if you'll just ask. And that's all you need to do is repent and believe that Jesus died for you, that he took your place on the cross and he did it because he loved you. And you commit your life to him. Have you done that today? Is that where your heart is? Well, some of you are like, well, Scott, I, you know, I'm a Christian. Well, where's your heart? Because it's easy to drift off course even as a Christian. And you're like, well, what do I do? Well, you do Romans 12, 1 and 2. That's what you do. In full view of the mercies of God, you offer yourself again as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That's what you do. If your heart has gone dark, grace of God can turn it around. But he can't do it unless you ask him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that today that your Holy Spirit would be revealed and manifested so that we may serve you with a whole heart Lord, we don't, we don't want to come to church because church is the thing that we do. Lord, we, we come because of who you are and what you've done. And we offer our lives to you as living sacrifices. So God, would you give the gift of repentance today? Would you give the gift of faith today? Would you give the gift of saving grace today? It doesn't come from men. It comes from you. We are a needy people. Create within us a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within us. So God, thank you. You didn't offer external solutions you offered your life so let us draw near to you with hearts filled with faith we pray this 
in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen.